Well, folks, welcome to the Nobleman Podcast. And I am super excited today because uh, kind of a cool serendipity sort of thing, uh, and God works this way, but a friend of mine in the ministry, Eric Wallace, reached out earlier this week and said, hey, Mike, uh, we haven't touched base in a while, so let's get together and and kind of catch up. I'd love to hear what's going on with your ministry and, and just kind of dial some things in. And so we've been talking now for an hour and a half in my office, um, but I had told Eric, I said, hey, while you're here, let's record a podcast. So this is what we're doing. We're recording a podcast uh, right now, kind of off the cuff, but we're going to have a great conversation. So let me shut up and say, Eric Wallace, Uniting Church and Home is your ministry. Welcome here. Tell us about yourself and your ministry. Well, first of all, brother, thank you for having me. Um, It's a real joy to be with you Mm. and uh, to be with our brothers here uh, online. And uh, yes, uh, Ministry Uniting Church and Home uh, is a ministry that I've been working with now for many years. I've been in ministry now 32 years, yeah. counting time on staff at a church. And uh, really, the ministry has been about helping the church and home connect in a better partnership. And over the years, um, what we've learned, what we've discovered is that the thing that people need, particularly men, yeah. uh, need is is not so much how-tos. That's important. We know right. that's important that we need to know how to do certain things, how to have a heart-level conversation with our wife, how to uh, train our children. But very often, the problem, and I'll begin with me yeah. uh, and, and say that my experience in, in ministering with men is it's, it's not the how-to, it's the want-to. Yeah. And what I mean by that, not that men don't want to minister to their wives and children, but the reality is with life, mm-hmm. <laughs> with the pressures of our work, right. with the pressures of things going around us in society and the things that are in the orbit of our children at school, uh, even our own struggles with sin, yeah, uh, we can become disconnected. And it's just kind of like, oh, I just can't do it anymore. And yeah. we can become uh, discouraged especially when we see, oh, my marriage isn't working quite right. I keep trying to do these things. It's not working right. Or maybe a child makes an unwise decision, a yep. life decision that impacts them adversely. And you think, oh, I, what did I do wrong? And so all of that is used, I think, by the evil one to that's discourage exactly right. us as men to continue on. Yeah. So that's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of motivation that I'm seeing that is an area of very rich ministry with men. Yeah. And and you're exactly right. The evil one, he lives in that space right there <laughs> waiting for us to become discouraged, mm-hmm. defeated. And I actually read um I was with a with a good friend this morning and our my wise guys group on Friday morning and we talked about how difficult it is for men to bear their souls, to be mm-hmm. real, to take off the mask. You know, we're As we're recording this, we're coming out of the pandemic. So the real masks, the physical masks that we've worn as protection from COVID-19 are coming off. But these manufactured masks to protect us from exposure, from people seeing the real us and knowing the real us and understanding the struggles that we have, we're not ready to take those off yet. And Satan relishes that thought. Well, and that's why we have to begin with our own hearts. Yeah. You know, to be God's minister to our wives and children at home, we have to begin with with ourselves, where we are. And, you know, a passage that we build the ministry around, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Okay, let me quote it, okay, because I know it. (laughs) 
Yeah, he said this, and I don't think he thinks I know it, but I do, because I, I memorized this years ago. Behold, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Yes. There you go. And so what I want men to see is that if you're in Christ, yeah. you are a new creation. And if you go b- dial back a few verses, back to verse 14, Paul talks about how uh, he was he's motivated by what by the love of God for him. That scene yeah. in what Christ has done for him on the cross, which not only is his justification of sin, but his adoption in making him positionally with Christ a new man. Even though we still have sin that we struggle with, our identity is right. not with our sin. It is with who we are as new creations in Christ. And so, you know, as brothers, you know, when we look at our failures and our shortcomings, you know, do we see that that what we want most in life, you know, to be pleasing to God, mm-hmm. to honor God, to glorify God is something that we already have mm. because of what Christ has done, that my performance as a husband, as a father, as a brother, as a friend, uh, does not earn uh, me righteousness. It doesn't make my identity better. Yeah. That what I have is already complete in Christ. And what that does is that it, it first of all, it, it helps me to see more fully what God has done for me as a provision, right? Mm-hmm. We, we can't live for Jesus in our own strength. It's a spiritual battle. Right. And so we need to fight with the tools that God's given us. And at the core of that, if you've got a toolbox, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the, the main tool in that toolbox is our union with Christ, our identity mm-hmm. in Him. And that allows us, when we really understand it, to come clean with yeah. God. And, and even when we sin at home, when we get angry or we don't do the right thing, sins of omission, that we yeah. can come clean with our families and say, I blew it. I forgot it. Why? Because my identity is not in my performance, but it's in what Christ has done. My righteousness is fully, completely in Jesus. Yeah. And so I, you know, that not only helps me to deal with my sin, which is an issue, um, but it also, uh, it gives me motivation. Yeah. Because I'm seeing much more clearly the love of God. When I... When you look through Scripture and the identity statements that are there, particularly uh, in the New Testament, it's there in the Old Testament, but not as clearly presented, I think, as it is in the New, at least on an I- individually. When we look at those statements, there's no response mm-hmm. to that. Uh, you know, seeing that we're forgiven in Christ, that we're secure, that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit— um, that we are loved, that we're forgiven, that we are his ambassadors, all these rich things that are ours in Christ. When we see that, you're seeing the love of God right. really poured out in very specific ways that then, when we really believe, help us to be able to walk obediently with him in our roles and relationships. Yeah. All right. So let me let me throw a challenge at you. So uh, there's someone out there who may be listening to this who um, was upside down in the construction world in 2008, um, ended up having to claim bankruptcy, lost his house. Um, his, his world just went upside down some time ago, and he's never gotten over that. And so 
um, that guy sees himself as a failure. Now, he mm-hmm. knows Jesus loves him. He's still making, he's still slogging his way into church on Sunday morning and trying to tough this out, but he sees himself as a failure. And so, you know, I, I could give you 15 scenarios like that where guys are carrying the burden of the past, some that they created, but some that just God ordained in their lives for them to struggle with. How do you help that guy? How do you encourage that guy to go back to seeing who he is in Christ and redeeming his identity so that he has the capacity, the energy, the desire, the joy, actually, of living that out as a leader in his life? Right. Well, that's a very good question. I would say it begins with a rediscovery. Because I think that for a lot of Christians in our churches, we hear these things. We, we, we tend to hear identity talked about, and that's wonderful, as it should be. But it's like we become familiar with it. Yeah. And we, we have really not done a good job in our churches of being intentional about helping people to see how who they are in Christ directly impacts how they live for him, which is really the, the basis of your question. Yeah. And I would say that there that brings me back to rediscovery, that you know, the first thing to do is to really go back and look at really who am I yeah. in Christ. And that's part of what our 517 People Week is about, which yeah. we'll talk about in a yeah. little bit, yeah. um, is just to bring people back to some foundational truths. And it's amazing how when I do this, how many times, <laughs> yeah. I mean, brother, I have had guys come up to me in tears. Yeah. And they say, I've been a Christian all these years. I've never really understood, like, dead to sin, Romans yeah. 6, that we're yeah. dead to yeah. sin we and alive about to that Christ. Earlier. Yeah. And I was actually speaking at a conference. Yeah. And the other plenary speaker came up to me at the speaker dinner afterwards and said, I've been a Christian all these years. I've never really considered really what it means that I'm dead to sin. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, it means that we're dead to the power and pleasure of sin and the penalty of sin. Obviously, we still feel temptation. Sure. But sin's power to make us do what it tempts us to do is broken through Christ. And so when we approach sin, as his brother said, you know, he said, I've got to begin thinking when I'm faced with my temptations, instead of thinking, oh, oh, what's the verse that says not to... You know, to think a lustful thought about another woman or to sin in anger. What's the verse? You know, that's how I, that's what I grew up. That was my experience. Right. Was growing up thinking, what's the verse? I got to memorize. It says not to do it. The very thing that I want to do. Yeah. (laughs) But what we've got to begin to do, like this brother was beginning to see, was that we have to come back intentionally to think, wait, first of all, the power of sin is broken. You know, I'm tempted to look at something I shouldn't be looking at. What's the first thought that comes to my mind? Is it that Christ has already defeated this? Yeah. Or is it that I got to figure out, I got to get my act right? Yeah, because that second option really depends upon me. I'm depending upon what I can do. It's behavior modification and not right. leaning into the victory of Christ. Right. Well, well, let me continue. Right. Let me continue because the victory of Christ is not something that we just look at once. This is yeah. something that we've got to look at over and over yeah. and over again. And this is the corollary really to the rediscovery, which is to remember. And that when we're going to the word, you know, that we've got to get into the habit of looking intentionally for the relationship between who we are in Christ and how we live for him. For example, uh, in Ephesians, it says, forgive. Mm-hmm. What? As you try harder? 
to as forgive. you have been forgiven. Forgive as you've yeah. been forgiven. Yeah. Love as you've been I'm loved. I'm so glad I got that right. I'll just be honest <laughs> with you. I was a little nervous there. I wish you could have seen my face. <laughs> love as you've been loved. Even the passages that we were talking about a little bit earlier, De- Deuteronomy 6 and Psalm yeah. 78, passages that, uh, that, that are often spoken to parents to encourage them. You know, teach your children as you rise up, as you lay down, as you walk by the way. That's Deuteronomy 6. And yeah. Psalm 78, fathers, you know, command these things to your children. And those those are the thoughts that we walk away with those passages. But what we don't see is the context, the indicative context. In Deuteronomy 6, before God tells the parents, this is what you are to do. He reminds them, this is what I have done yeah. for you that will give you the strength. And what is that strength? It's joy. Yeah. That's a whole podcast right there just on joy but it's the joy uh that we live with that motivates us that really gives god glory because it says that i have found satisfaction in you god not in my performance and how good i look at doing what you're commanding me to do Mm -hmm. and that's the way a lot of us live is we look at what we do in a way where we feel like instead of beginning with righteousness that's full and complete, I'm going to grow in my righteousness. I'm going to gain more. I'm going to get something I don't have through my performance. And uh, and so we have to, I think, get back to looking at the Word in a way where we see, you know, what's the joy that God has given us that helps us to obey Him rather than what we typically do, which is read the Bible just to get through it, right? Yeah. And we all have the goal. we got to get through the, the Bible, yeah. check the box. And we just are overwhelmed because of our, our uh, because of indwelling sin. You know, we're always looking for the formula. We're looking for what we need to do, and we do it. And the reality is God wants us to see what he has done. Yeah. And so when you read the word and you begin looking for the indicative, what God has done for us, how what he's provided for us, that as a man struggling with sin to know, I am forgiven. I may have sinned the 99th time. But the truth is, is that God is forgiving me. And it's it's a process over time that we look at the word and we dig deep into these identity statements that are simple, that we typically just just ride right over and yeah. never really see because we're so wired to the doing that over time really give us the joy that changes our heart. Right. It, it's not turnkey, as you know. I mean, these are lifelong we're not perfect this side of heaven. We always are struggling with sin on some level yeah. in some way. And so um, the, 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 what God has given us in his word gives us the joy we need in order to live for him. And that's what we have to begin to see when we're reading the word. And it'll change also. I know I'm going a little bit long, <laughs> but when we're reading the Bible to our kids, yeah. why do our kids hate sitting down and reading the Bible? There could be a lot of reasons, but one I think is just that it's boring. Yeah. And why is it boring? Because we're not seeing the love of God demonstrated in the person work of Christ. And if you're a believer, that will become precious to you. Yeah. That love will grab your heart. It'll squeeze it. And out of it will come joy. Yeah. And your kids will see joy. I'm not an emotional guy. <laughs> He's lying. <laughs> But you're no, going to need to I, repent I mean, for that. I mean, I don't cry. I don't cry easily. <laughs> okay, because you're very passionate okay, about I, this I, whole I'm thing. Passionate. All right. But, you know, I remember reading the word to my children uh, one morning and I was just weeping. Yeah. Because I was seeing the joy 
that I was seeing in God's love for me, the mess that I am, uh, just came out in that way, that moment. But, you know, to get those moments, there has to be the practice, the time, the commitment, the intentionality right. to get those teachable moments, which really wasn't. I mean, the kids were like, Dad never cries. And here's Dad. He's crying after reading the Bible. You know, what is it that he's seeing? I want to know what this is. And so it's those moments that come about as you get in the habit of reading the word and seeing these things, digging them out, grabbing onto them, squeezing them, chewing them, talking about them, that, that really changes our hearts so that we want to obey God. And so that brings us to the joy of obedience. Um, it's not the drudgery. It's not a reluctance to obey, but it's a, the joy in obeying and living the life that Christ has marked out for us. Right, because... You know, I if, if my joy is in my performance and those things, I'm not going to be very good at yeah, it. Yeah, and as Satan I have is going to use that <laughs> right. to just torment us. Well, right. Well, listen. So you mentioned the 517 week, and I and um, so you've developed a strategy that you where you're encouraging families to study some of these identity statements over the course of a week and just have conversations. So give us a, a little bit of a background on that and some perspective about right. how it works. Sure, well, it's a, it's a week devotional, uh, seven days, and it begins with um, looking at uh, who we are as new creations in Christ, yes. that's the first identity statement, then hidden in Christ, forgiven in Christ, uh, righteousness is in Christ, um, dead to sin, yeah. uh, being a branch, You know the importance of being connected in a way that I've been talking about in this podcast. But then also it ends, you know, I think very importantly on the note of back to five, second Corinthians five, yeah. uh, when Paul's talking about his identity as a new creation, he's also talking specifically there in verse 20 about how he's an ambassador, mm -hmm. that he's an ambassador of reconciliation. And so all of this should lead us not to be cul-de-sacs. Right but conduit where the traffic stops right. to be to not let this message stop with us but to let it flow right. through it, us it will compel it compelled paul think yeah. about paul's yeah. ministry yeah. i mean is beaten stoned shipwrecked i mean if anyone has paid a huge price to follow christ it was paul but yet it was the joy um is the joy set before jesus he endured the cross but right. for paul you know it was that love of god that he saw for him that compelled him to minister that way. Yeah. So I think, you know, as husbands, you know, we need compulsion. We need to be pushed. Yeah. But what greater push is there than the push of God's love for us yeah. that we're really digging into? I know as guys, maybe that's not familiar, you know, love, joy. I mean, that's stuff that we kind of understand in a relational way with our wives, but that we don't tend to think about in terms of how we live. But, you know, one of the things I'll just say is that I've been surprised how many men have picked up on the the idea of joy hmm. and i've had people say oh man won't gravitate to joy you know and uh, i like to make a distinction between happiness and joy sure. you know happiness is circumstantial and temporary but yeah. joy is something that sticks with you and it's it's something that is developed over time right you know, like digging into the word like i'm saying and practicing it that way um so my encouragement, you know, to men is that when you begin to, to seek joy, you know, through Christ, you know, don't be afraid of that. That's very yeah. manly. Yeah. <laughs> and it will change you and it will help you, 
you know, to walk more faithfully in the way that you, we all, and we, I want to be a faithful husband and father more than anything. Well, so. and I think we are jo- drawn to people who have a zest for life. I mean, there are various scenario, various words that we can use, but people who seem to delight in what's going on in their lives. They, they, there's a winsomeness about them. And for some, there's secular <laughs> reasons for that. But the real joy that we're drawn to is the joy of Christ that we see in the lives of other people. And dad, father, you know, I, I, I would encourage you to ask God to give you that joy so that that permeates your home because it's your joy in your own salvation and your relationship with Christ that will help draw your children to this Savior that you love and trust. And so we've got to live that out in front of our families. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Because I think, especially today, in sort of a post-Christian America, you know, people are still looking for joy. Yeah. I mean, we were wired by God to seek joy. Yeah. I think that's a wonderful thing to think about, that God wants us to have joy. Yeah. But he said, you find it in me. Yeah. And so I want my children to, to know this joy because it it gets through circumstances that are not... Delightful. Delightful. Yeah. <laughs> and we've experienced some of that, and who knows how much more of that there would be. But I want something in their lives. I mean, I want it to be God, of course, but it's not God, the dutiful, do this, do that, yeah. do the other thing. But it's the loving God, the merciful God that has reached down to them and given them joy that shines despite the darkness that's all around it. Yeah. And I think today, especially, you know, where there's so much emphasis on identity. Mm-hmm. You know, our kids are getting hit with it on social media nine ways to Sunday. And uh, how important it is that we, in a way, inoculate them. We're all about vaccinations, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. And so uh, we inoculate them against worldly ideas of their identity by always keeping in front of them, this is who God says you are. Right. And this is where you have to plant the tree, right here. Right. And it, it takes a while for that message to sink in because all of our hearts are hard. But particularly now, I think that there's a unique opportunity <clears throat> that we as parents have uh, with the emphasis on identity to say, here's who God says we are. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of this, in the context of family, uh, someone asked me to, to make some comments on the Great Commission just recently. And uh, go ye therefore and make disciples. So where are you going? Where are you willing to go? And one of my statements about this was the first place we have to be willing to go is not around the world, but down the hallway to our children's bedrooms. And to be willing to go and make disciples of our own children. I think we look beyond uh, sometimes in our effort to see global Christianity and large impact, I think we look over the heads of the most important people that we've been given a charge to disciple, and we miss that responsibility. So I I would just speak to this whole idea that our first responsibility for discipleship is in our very own home. Well, absolutely. God's plan of salvation is one that's multi-generational, and that's why his word speaks so much about the family and the family unit, because you know, you have, you know, God wants the children of Christian parents to grow up and be Christian. Yeah. But that 
model in the home is a model. It's a microcosm of the church. That's exactly right. And so we have to remember that our homes are not just about us. I mean, really, ultimately, they're really not about us, right? right? Well, neither Um, is marriage or any of these other things that are so central to our, uh, what we would consider our identity, what the society might look at as our identity. But, you know, this is all an expression of God's love for us and his goodness to us and his general revelation. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, as parents, you know, to really step back and think about, you know, how many people have impacted you, you know, in your life? And and I imagine each of us could at least Mm -hmm. fill up one hand of individuals who have impacted us and think about our own kids that way. Yeah. You know, whether you have one child or 10 children, whatever the case may be, think about the impact that just one person can have for Christ. But but we have to be willing to make the investiture uh, with our children for them to be that. And I think that as things move in the direction they're moving in our in our nation and in the world, you know, that the opportunity for the gospel I think it's going to come on much more granular level. Yeah. You know, the days of the Crusades, the Billy Graham Crusades, are probably behind us. It is now more of a, a, a man-on-man. Yeah. And I think that that's a good thing. Yeah. Because I think that people knowing each other very deeply helps people to see our struggles, but also, Lord willing, see how the gospel is the answer to our struggles. Yeah. And you don't see that when you're from a guy who's standing up in front of 500 people. Now, I love big events like that. I love going. I love listening. I hope we can continue to do those. But I think that especially in the home, we think, oh, well, I'm not really good at, I don't really know the whole Bible, or I'm not a really good speaker. And so I'm going to let Mike Young, I'm going to take my my father, father father-in-law, son to hear Mike Young. That would be a bad idea. <laughs> and <clears throat> no, it wouldn't. It'd be a great idea, brother, because God uses you powerfully in that way. But um, we just think that because there's these these visible people yeah. that God has given a gift that, oh, well, I can't be effective. And the reality is, is that our effectiveness is not really in our skills and abilities. That's right. For what really matters, the, the changing of a heart, the effectiveness is in the power of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And I know you guys are listening and thinking, I've heard that. But you know what? We've got to believe it. And if we really believe it, then then we're going to make the effort to sit down and say, guys, this word right here is truth. Mm -hmm. We're living in a day where people are thinking of all sorts of ways about what truth is, my truth. But we know that this is God's truth. Right. You have to know this truth to survive as if your life depends on it. And it does, not just your, your spiritual life. But your life as a husband, as a father, hopefully in the future, depends on this. Right. So, you know, we've got, we have really got to come kind of full circle to where we started the conversation about truth. We've got to come back to stand on this truth in our home. And we've got to convey to our children by the way we live, by the priority we give it, we fail. We don't read the Bible every day. I mean, these are things that we, we struggle right. with. But you know what? That's why it's the work of Jesus that's already been fully complete. He said, on the cross, it is finished. It is finished, right. <clears throat> so the work is finished. We need to apply what is finished. 
And so we can be faithful in that as we, as again, we go back and we see what God has done for us to give us the joy to want to be faithful when it's hard, when we want to give up, we feel like failures, we're not failures in Christ. Uh, God blesses faithfulness. Yeah. God blesses faithfulness. I'll say it again. God blesses faithfulness. It's not perfect. That's why it's faithfulness. Yeah. But it's, God it's blesses that. It's the long that. road. It's the long road. It's yeah. the long view. Yeah. Well, well, I know that uh, you've got a time commitment that we've got. We're pushing up against here because I think we could go on. But let me let me just do a couple of things. I know. Um, so you've got this five seventeen. Um, 517 people week. people week that uh, folks can get access to. So we'll put a link to that okay. in the show notes so that they can reach out to you. We'll also put a link to Uniting Church and Home if they want to follow up with you. Okay. Um, Eric has some other great resources for dads to talk to their teenagers and so forth about identity. So there's some some other good resources that he's developed over the years. Any final thoughts on, on any of that? I would say, brothers, uh, in the words of Winston Churchill, never give up. Yeah. I mean, you grab on, brothers. I hope that the, what our conversation, the, the conversation I've had with Mike today, has, has encouraged you to see something that perhaps ha- has gotten a lot of dust on it, hmm. but that you can brush the dust off of that has the potential to give you what you need, you know, the, the understanding of God's love and joy that compel you to serve him as a father and a husband and as a friend. So... You know, don't give up in pursuing that. Yeah. In order to love and lead well, you're going to need the word. You're going to have to have that wisdom that only comes through the word. So, well, uh, Eric, thanks for jumping in on this. It's kind of uh, impromptu, but it's fun. So we've had a good time. And uh, folks, I just want to encourage you, check out the show notes. We'll put the links to those those items in there. I tell you, there's there's another thought that occurs to me, and that is uh, Stephen Kendrick, a friend who did the Kendrick Brothers film, once challenged me as they were working on the film Overcomer, read Ephesians 1 and 2 with a sheet of paper and write down everything that you are in Christ and everything that you you have in Christ because it will give you a different perspective on what it means to walk in his light and to uh, to be that light carrier, that, uh, that uh, beacon of Jesus in your home. If you understand who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ, it will change your demeanor and your perspective. So a little homework assignment for you there. Check out those show notes. And Eric, we'll do this again sometime. So thanks for being with us. It. Thank you so much. All right. God bless you, man. Take care.